And welcome to the Psych and Business Podcast, where we highlight the integration of psychology and psychological principles into the world of business and organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Ernest Wade. I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today, a fellow coach and consultant that I met at a conference and immediately enjoyed speaking with. Her name is Dr. Connie Schroyer. Dr. Schroyer is a seasoned executive coach, facilitator, and transformation consultant who works with senior executives to create teams, individuals, and environments that have a positive impact on people and drive real change. Connie has 30 years of experience helping organizations implement their strategy, working with teams, culture, and leadership with a strong focus on emotional intelligence. Connie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Arnas. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about myself and my work. I appreciate it. Connie, I'm really looking forward to having you talk about all of those things. But before we get started, I always want to start by asking, how did you get into this work? And tell us about your journey as to how you ended up at Corn Ferry and, and starting your own business. Yep. Happy to. So, I mean, I've I've always loved psychology and always knew that this was what I wanted to do. Even from, and I don't even know if they still offer this, but even in high school, I took a psychology class from one of my mm-hmm. one of my teachers. And I said, this is for me. And <laughs> in, um, in undergrad, I went to University of Maryland and I was very interested in social psychology, the group norms. I volunteered for all these experiments that the psychology department was doing. And I just loved the social aspect of it. And of course that evolved into, well, mm-hmm. you know, where can I apply this into organizations? So um, uh, IO psychology. And from there, I did most of my career, I spent as a consultant with Hay Group, which is was then acquired by Corn Ferry about seven years ago. So it became mm-hmm. part of Corn Ferry. And I would say that, you know, my, what I, what I loved about it was I could apply uh, the psychology that I, that I had learned and really understanding what is it that motivates people? Why do people mm-hmm. do what they do? And how does that impact success in business and in, and in organizations? And I know you had uh, Dr. Greg Pennington on, uh, on a prior podcast who talked about McClellan's motives, the need for power, affiliation and achievement. So I won't, won't go into detail there, but I also uh, was 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 trained and worked uh, very deeply in that area. I also um, in the gosh, this was probably the mid to late 1990s, right? Uh, when Dan Goleman was actually working with Richard Boyatzis to come up with the um, 360 around emotional intelligence and had written yeah. a book on working with emotional intelligence. And I actually had the opportunity to travel a little bit as Dan Goleman was going out and speaking. And at that time, CEOs and business leaders were saying, oh my gosh, this is something that we need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. You know, up until then, there was a pretty high focus on believing that leadership was just about how smart you were and your, what experience you had and those sorts of things, not necessarily the emotional intelligence component. So a lot of my career was spent uh, working on developing through coaching and leadership development, emotional intelligence and understanding how who you are as a person and what motivates you actually pl- plays into that. And um, then, of course, I expanded extended that into doing work with teams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a whole body of work around emotional intelligence of a team that when you put a group of people who have emotional intelligence together, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll have emotionally intelligent team, mm-hmm. but there's yeah. a, a difference between that. So I did that for many years. I was also a uh, general manager for um, a number of years with Hay Group. So I have leadership experience myself. And um, that was, was really my aspiration when I started my career was to be a general manager and, but I realized when I got there that it really wasn't, I didn't really like it. <laughs> I didn't like the business part of it or the operational part of it. 
I loved the people leadership. So I, you know, had a number of roles after that, that was more around leading people and working with clients. It was just a, mm -hmm. a better role for me. So I say that I semi-retired from Corn Ferry about two years ago and started my own business, Thea Leadership. And although it doesn't, I really haven't semi-retired, uh, mm -hmm. but, I, but I, I would say that I'm now more focused on what I love to do. And I very intentionally chose the name when I was starting my own business because Thea is the Greek goddess of, um, you know, the light in the clear blue sky or, or vision. Yeah. And what I really wanted to focus, you know, my marine remaining years of working and doing was mm -hmm. helping people through my coaching, helping teams and helping organizations to really think about what is the vision that we're striving towards? Where are we mm -hmm. trying to go? And oftentimes people just don't spend enough time thinking and focusing on all of that. So yeah. that's where I am today. I also have a partnership with a number of individuals doing some innovative things in the healthcare arena. Mm -hmm. um, around ho looking at the hospitality uh, culture and how that applies to healthcare. I've worked for many years on interactive live theater and incorporating uh, psychology into this interactive live theater as a training mechanism. So I also am part of that partnership. So I'm, as you can see, I'm not really semi-retired. Yeah. You know, that doesn't seem like retirement at all. It seems like full-time work. But it's there. fun because I'm doing what I love to do. Ernest, yeah. And that's what I, that's what's great about it. Now, Connie, you've got such an interesting journey, and, I, and I'm really fascinated to hear from you a little bit more about your your journey as a leader, because you went straight in from psychology into the world of business and were learning about leadership and, and developing a lot of concepts and theories. How did that influence your leadership and your management style? Because you were able to identify immediately that you love the leader part, but weren't really engaged in the management administrative part. Yeah, it, that's, a, that's a great question. And I really intentionally tried as a leader to incorporate what I was coaching and telling other people to do, but it's much mm -hmm. harder. I had a boss once who always said, you know, knowing is different than doing. And it is absolutely <laughs> yes. true. Yeah. And I would say I did, I did learn that, you know, the, the finance, the operations part, I remember I'd, I'd meet with the CFO and be like, Oh, Connie, you know, the, the numbers are down. And I'd be like, why are we talking about last month? Like, there's nothing we can do about last month. They're like, well, mm -hmm. we have to understand or we're going to repeat last month. Love that. Mm -hmm. So it just wasn't, you know, part of my motivation was not around, you know, focusing on, on those sorts of things. But I think to answer your question directly, like, what did I learn in leadership? So I, I talked to you about my emotional intelligence, you know, yeah. uh, focus, right? Well, this was a learning for me is that I overdid it. I overdid the um, what we call the participative leadership style when I was mm -hmm. in that role. Like I wanted everybody to buy in. I wanted to be very democratic. I was leading. I was leading actuaries. I was leading, you know, MBA. I was leading not just psychologists. So I was yeah. leading people that had very different backgrounds. And I would say that in the beginning, especially, I was not decisive enough. Mm -hmm. I realized you just can't please everyone. In fact. My eye-opening moment was, um, I remember, you know, back in the, the day when everything was in person, right? We were in the kitchen before one of my weekly meetings and I happened to walk in and someone was saying, oh, I had to come in, you know, for a big cup of coffee because we're going into one of Connie's meetings and they can last a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Do I really have long meetings? 
And I realized that I did because I wanted to just, you know, engage. And also you could probably tell I'm very extroverted. Mm-hmm. So for the introverts, many of the people on the team were introverts. Like, do we really have to talk about you know, what we did this weekend and yeah. all this? We really don't want to talk about this sort of stuff. We want to get down to business. So um, I applied it. I think I applied it in good ways in terms of giving people the vision, inspiring. I did a lot of coaching and developing, but I also, you know, learned what, what not to do. Yeah. No, I, I love that example because I think it really it really highlights how um, focusing on people is important, but but also balancing that with with the, um, the other responsibilities of leadership. I think that's that's a really hard thing for leaders to do is is balancing finding the right balance of what to do with your specific group and sometimes with with a specific individual. You know, is it is it more of that personal or more of the, the focusing on the work itself? And that can be really hard. Um, yeah. Tell me about about the name Thea Leadership because I know you do your own work now. How did you how did you develop that name and what how does that work? How does that play into the work that you do? So, I felt that in a lot of my coaching and in my work with teams that there was a lot of a lot of energy and just time being spent mm-hmm. without people thinking about why are we spending time on this. Mm-hmm. Or why are we doing all of these things? A lot of busyness without a lot of focus. And so, you know, with, with the name, I, you know, wanted something that really communicated that in the work that I do, even you know, some of the work that I do is quite frankly, it is more, um, you know, operational HR, just helping to kind of get stuff done within, within companies. But what I, what I try to bring everything back to, whether it's the strategic work with teams, the coaching, the more operational work, is that, you know, what I try to bring is the why. Why are we doing this? Or why are you doing this? And if you don't know the why, mm. then don't have the meeting or don't do this project or um, and prioritize. Like know yeah. your why. And, and then that immediately prioritizes things for people. And as part of your coaching and everything that you do, if I'm you know working with teams or individuals, is that vision. So, you know, I think if people don't know where they're going, right, they're, they're, they're not they're not going to get there. You have to kind of know what, what that direction is. So for me, it yeah. was motivation for myself that I wanted to focus uh, and do more of what I love. And it was also what I, how I wanted to work with my clients. Yeah, I, I love that, that you're able to kind of focus in on the thing that you really enjoyed, but are still finding that you're still doing some of that operational stuff, right? Because I think it's, it's it's the whole package of leadership, right? It's, it's all of these responsibilities that you have to do. Yeah. So I, I know you do a lot of work with teams, with culture, and with leadership. Can you share a little bit about some of the work that you do and how that's really helpful to leaders in terms of uh, making progress into the organization? Yeah, I, I mean, probably my favorite thing to do is actually work with teams. And it's, you know, it goes back to my roots of loving the social psychology and how mm-hmm. people interact when they're in groups. And one of the, the formulas, again, go way back to my early Hey Group and David McClellan days, is that whenever you, you see someone in a particular situation in a team, mm-hmm. that their behavior, right, is, is a function of both who they are as a person and the situation that they're in. So they're bringing their stuff, right? They're bringing their values and their motives and their strengths and their concerns and their fears. You know, they're, they're bringing all of that. But how they're showing up is also a function of 
the situation. And the situation is generally that environment that's created by the leader of the team. Now it's also created by other things, but mm-hmm. you know, for simplification purposes, what I always say to people who I'm coaching or, or leaders of teams that I'm working with is that you have a tremendous impact on how people are showing up and how they act together as a team, how they collaborate, how they share, how they don't share. Yeah. And uh, what I, what I find is just, it's hugely impactful, first of all, to just observe. And so every chance I get to observe a team in action or a leader with, with a team, oftentimes there's a lot of insights that I can use. And I just was thinking of one uh, particular example of a leader who was new, brand new to um, an, an organization and inherited the team of people. And I would say a very different leader from the leader who was there prior leader mm-hmm. who was there prior was a little bit more uh, focused on the, the people creating a very good people friendly culture and, you know, probably a little bit more laid back style. Mm. This person who came in was very driven, very uh, wanted to raise standards, uh, but had a great reputation in the, in the field and had some good, good stuff. Good, good, you know, good, had good vision, uh, was really able to, get people excited by the vision. But the problem was in the team environment, mm-hmm. people were actually intimidated by this person um, because the, the energy and passion was just, was just too much. Mm-hmm. And, but this was someone who was very open, was very open to feedback and, and understanding that the culture that he was walking into was very different than the culture that he came from. And that what he felt oftentimes was giving people, you know, structure and responsibility was really making them feel very intimidated and, and actually fe- fearful. So I work with him and I also did a number of sessions with the team. And I find that, uh, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, let's, let's do some sessions w- without the leader there because they don't want, you know, they won't be um, you know, open. It's and open. I, and I yep. generally don't like to do that mm-hmm. because, you know, it, it just isn't creating a realistic environment, but the mm-hmm. leader has to show up differently yeah. You know, in order for people to react differently. So, you know, basically use that sim- simple formula and said, if you want people to show up as their best, you've got to create a different climate or a different environment. And it really was just um, shifting some of the ground rules and norms, making it really clear. And the other thing that, that he did, which I find extremely powerful, is back to the theater leadership and the, the vision, you know, and yeah. the, the light. What, what is our purpose as a team? Like, why are we coming together as a team and everybody brings their own assumptions? And if the leader doesn't clarify, you're here, whatever it is, you're here just to coordinate and make sure that everybody knows what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. But if one person thinks that, no, we're really here to, to, to problem solve and to make decisions. And if what someone, one of my peers is doing is, you know, is really important to what I'm doing, then I'm going to state that and I'm going to give my opinion. Anyway, you got to set the, the clarity and the norms. Yeah. And it's just, I have found in sometimes in just a few uh, sessions with leaders and teams that you see a totally different set of dynamics, you know, within a relatively short period of time. Yeah. You know, let's, let's dig into that a little bit. Cause I, you know, it, that example touches on what you've talked about in terms of emotional intelligence, right? Letting the leader, develop their emotional intelligence and understand how um, external factors impacts their internal um, the inter- internal motivation and how that all shows up in their behavior and how that impacts others as well. Talk about how you you work with 
an organization in terms of building emotional intelligence at the individual level and then at the team level? Because you mentioned that's that's different to have emotional intelligence at the team level. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll start with at the at the individual level. And then you're right, it is very different at the team level, but the concepts mm-hmm. are really the same, right? So the approach is that first of all, you have to build self-awareness, right? You, you gotta build an awareness mm-hmm. of um you know, how am I coming across? What is my, what is my impact? How do other people see me? How do I show up? And so, you know, that could be a combination of lots of personality assessments out there mm-hmm. that give, you know, give you a sense of this is generally how you show up. I mean, the Hogan is one of the, one of the best around, especially, especially how you show up yeah. to others. Right. Um, how, how well do you think leaders do that now? Do you think most leaders are pretty aware about this or there, there's some work to be done there? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't. I mean, I, I think that, listen, I think that that that, that good leaders out there do mm-hmm. probably are aware of some of those things mm-hmm. that are probably easier to to give feedback on. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, if, if you're really, you know, someone who, you know, for example, just loses it. Yeah. Or uh, you know does has a lack of self control. Those things are say, hey, listen, you know, you probably shouldn't. You probably shouldn't show up and be angry or yell at me. Like things that are that are clearly things. outside the bounds. Mm-hmm. I think people get feedback on. I think that oftentimes what people don't get feedback on are those things that are generally very good, but they can be you know they can be overused strengths. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, you know, I'm a very confident and I'm willing and I take risks and I'm smart, that stuff gets rewarded. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're in a leadership position and you know you don't want to listen to anybody else because you think you're the smartest person in the room. Right. Some of those things, there are usually blind spots mm-hmm. that people mm-hmm. often have in those situations, Ernest, I find. And I think it's the same thing with teams. That teams, I remember I observed this one, this one team and, and after my observation, I always say, well, what do you think you did well? And they're like, we made lots of decisions. Well, my biggest observation of what they didn't do well was that they didn't make any decisions. <laughs> like, you know, this was like a, I don't know, this was, like, it was like a three hour like meeting Twilight Zone. and they didn't make any decision. And they're like, okay, oh, that's interesting. Of course, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. Give me an example of a decision you made. Well, we made a decision that we would collect more data and discuss this again at the next meeting. <laughs> that's not a decision. That's deferring a decision. I mean, it was even like a, I'm not going to say a simple decision, but a really mm-hmm. basic decision about, do we sponsor this parade or something? And I was like, you, you didn't even, you didn't, you didn't even come up with criteria mm-hmm. that you're going to use to go get information on how to make a decision as to whether to be in this parade. You know? yeah. So it was, it was all these sorts of things. So self-awareness of teams, you oftentimes don't see what other people see and teams often don't see when they're in the midst of it. That's so interesting. You know, I've I've worked. What your example reminds me of a team that does exactly that, right? And 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 I've worked with them on the the individual level. And so there's there's some great awareness at the individual level as to how what they're how they're behaving. But as a team, that's really interesting. That concept of looking at how we're functioning as a team and really building that emotional intelligence as a team. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the great values that that any facilitator, a good facilitator really brings in a team is to notice what is happening mm-hmm. and to, again, not make assumptions, because I think that's back to, you know, the, the that your 
intent isn't always impact. And you can't make assumptions about, well, this person, this happens all the time, right? People get labeled. You're not a good team player because of how you show up or you don't share or you criticize. Mm -hmm. Whereas you talk to this person, you know, off to the side and they say, I'm the most committed to this team because I Mm -hmm. say what needs to be said it's the people who sit there and nod their heads who are not the good team players. Yeah. So again, back to the work with teams is you have to define what do we want? What's the behavior that we want on this team? And usually it's not, it's not nodding and agreeing and it's mm-hmm. not criticizing. Yeah. So what, what is that norm? Like, what does that look like? So that's where a lot of the, then the training of how to be an effective team, just like yeah. you would train an individual on how to have self-awareness and self-control. Yeah. You, you could train teams how to do that as well. Can you can you talk a little bit about about your training as a psychologist and, and and your understanding of human behavior and how that's helped you in this work in terms of helping other people gain awareness? Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. And I I know I I talked about a negative before when people like to come to my long meetings and help my training. <laughs> <laughs> but my training, though, as a psychologist, I think. Um, does help me be more aware of, mm-hmm. you know, in the moment, oh gosh, this is important to pay attention. Like something, something is happening here and I need yes. to change. Right. Uh-huh. So I, but I do think that if I think about again, my training, you know, I think as a leader and as a, as a consultant, it has helped me to, to work with so mm-hmm. many different types of people. In fact, I had a reputation when I was with Hey Group that, if there was a difficult client that nobody could work with, Connie could work with them. <laughs> and, you know, it, and I think part of it was because that I wasn't intimidating to people. And I also have a lot of empathy and I also mm-hmm. have a general rule that I try to live by, not always, but I try to live by the fact that if someone is coming across as difficult or rude or inconsiderate or disrespectful, whatever it is, yeah. there's probably something going on with them. Mm-hmm. And it's manifesting in this behavior, this be- yeah, and exactly. don't take it personal. Now it's really hard to do, and knowing is different than doing, as I as I said before. But I think especially knowing that someone is a difficult client, or quite frankly, even difficult employees. Oftentimes, when I was a practice leader and in other roles, they would say, "That you know, can you help this person? We're going to put them, you know, working for you because you know you're usually pretty good at you know getting." getting to people when other leaders really can't. And so I think that empathy and the, the the training to really understand that people are different and they need different things and they have other stuff going on. And I think that's really helped me. And certainly in a lot of my coaching, mm-hmm. it's really evolved to, you know, not all, not necessarily life coaching, mm-hmm. but full person coaching, because that's what people Bring and that's what impact people's ability yeah. to, to get things done. Yeah, I love that. I think I think you've hit on the mark there in terms of your your training to be able to notice things, right? I think some, that's something that I find a lot of people don't notice, mm-hmm. even when 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 body language changes or just when the tenor of the room changes and people just barge on and not notice. Hmm, I've lost the I've lost the crowd, you know, I've lost the room, and so it's, I need to stop and figure out what's going on. So that that training as a psychologist has really helped me to be able to identify when when things shift the moment yeah noticing it Ernest, and i think then just knowing how to bring it up without it sounding judgmental or critical mm-hmm. yeah. right and so i had a i had a situation a very difficult very difficult um client that was 
actually came from a competitor and was now working for a client and was doing mm-hmm. everything possible to try to, you know, make me and the team look bad. Mm-hmm. It was a really in a room of 20 some people. And I just remember that I, I was getting to the point where I felt like I was really going to just lose it, whatever that mm-hmm. looked like. I wasn't sure cry or yell or be really rude and nasty right back. So what I did was I was able to say in the moment that I think we need to take a pause. Mm -hmm. I would suggest that we take a break and maybe a few of us who are in this very heated, I can't remember the word I use, heated or difficult discussion, heated discussion. I said, let's take it offline Mm because you could just see everybody. Even though I was feeling a certain way, everybody else in the room was probably feeling even worse because they were, it's just very weird dynamic. And so we just took it offline. And I'm not saying, you know, again, I wish I was always that, you know, able to do those things in the moment, but Mm -hmm. I will tell you, this was over 20 years ago. And when I, I still am in contact with a number of my colleagues who are in that room, <laughs> they still bring it up. It's like, we will never forget that moment because it was so uncomfortable. Yeah. And everyone was just looking at my face saying, she's going to lose it. Yeah. <laughs> We've yeah. never seen you lose it. What's she going to do? So all eyes were on me and I knew it. Um, so anyway, so it's noticing it. Of course, yeah. in that case, I couldn't help but notice. And then knowing what to do about it. And in a lot of my coaching, that's what I try to help people to do and recognize that you may not always do the right thing, but when you notice that you didn't do the right thing, then just change it. It's it's okay. Like if it's the wrong thing, just do something different and try something else. It starts with recognition, recognizing the situation and then knowing, hey, I need to do something different and then then engaging that different. Connie, this has been this has been so much fun. I, I really enjoyed talking to you. We could go on and on, and we're just gonna have to have you come back because there's a lot more to talk about. <laughs> but you know, how, how do people get a hold of you? People want to con- continue the conversation or, or, or get in touch with you to hire your services. How do people get a hold of you? So I can give my my email is uh, Connie dot Schroyer S C H R O Y E R, and it's at thealeadership.com. So Thea is T H E I A thealeadership.com. Awesome. Thank you. And then I always want to take advantage of the great guests that we have, the the experts such as yourself, and ask, what's a a tip that you can give to businesses or organizations or leaders, given this this time, uh, the environment that we're in right now? Yeah. So the one tip I would give is to stop trying to do everything, stop multitasking and focus. (laughs) Focus and reflect. Mm -hmm. Right. Just just whatever is your style. For me, I have a journal and, you know, I try to say what's the, what are the most important things that I need to get done this mm-hmm. month, week, this day, it varies depending upon how I'm feeling. And then I re- and reflect. So focus and reflect, right? Go back and reflect. Have I spent my time and my energy doing the things that I want to focus on? And mm-hmm. it's, a, it's amazing. Even when you're intentional about it, I think. You know, for me personally, sometimes I find, no, I'm not focusing my time and energy on the right things, but I reflect on it mm-hmm. and I'm very specific about what to change. So that would be my best advice. Focus, um, reflect. I actually read this book once. I think it was called The One Thing. Mm-hmm. And I hope I'm not offending any listeners, but it, it, it wasn't exactly the right advice for, for me at the time. <laughs> but And I wouldn't say there's only one thing that you should focus yeah. on, but focus on the few things that are really going to bring about the biggest impact, the biggest difference, and get you where you want to go. 
You know, I really love that advice because it really talks about making sure that the time that you are engaging in activities is time well spent in terms of time that you want to get out of it, the things that, that you are actually aiming to get out of it. Because a lot of us are perpetually busy. I mean, life can just be so busy. And even at work, you spend your time doing so many things. But are the things that you're doing helping you get to the goal that you have, you have in mind? Are they helping you achieve that uh, specific objective that you, you've set out for yourself? Uh, so really focusing, taking the time to reflect I like the idea of a time journal and making sure that you're you're spending your time wisely because that's that's there in black and white. You can see I spent X amount of time doing this. Did that really get me to what I wanted to, or is there something that I need to do differently? So I really appreciate that advice. Yeah, it's the time, and also I don't know if you're a fan of Robin Sharma, but he talks a lot about are you spending your your time in the right ways and and your time with the right people hmm. and in the right places that bring you joy. He talks about yeah. that. And so I, I, I try to, again, my whole life, I try to think about now, you know, am I spending my time with the people in the places yeah. and with the things that bring me joy? That's my, yeah. that's my kind of light in the, in the sky that I. I love that. I think that's, that's really sage advice. Thank you, Connie. You're welcome. Again, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been so much fun. We'll have to have you come back. I would love to, Ernest. Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Excellent. And to our audience, I hope you will join us next time.